Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Kills me not to know this, but I've all but just forgotten what the color of her eyes were. And her scars are how she got them. Has the telling signs of a drain down. A single tear is dropping through the valleys of an aging face that this world has forgotten. Check, check, check. Do you want me to give me a little level yeah. test? Hello, hello. One, two. Is that an Ugly Kid Joe shirt? It sure is. That's amazing. <laughs> I've never even seen an Ugly Kid Joe shirt. <laughs> yeah, That's I love incredible. him, man. You've got to rip the old school. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we can just go straight in on this, actually, because I did want to talk to you about um, Metallica in Birmingham on Monday night. You oh, were yeah. there. We were there. And I didn't hustle you because we've only met once before in this room, not this exact room, but this building. I was there and oh, I really? saw you guys coming oh, in and uh, I was yeah. going to come up and say hello, but then I thought... Well, you don't really know me, and it'll just be a random dude hassling you. So hey, I thought I'll, I'll, I'll see him on tour, Sunday right? anyway. See you later. I'll see you before the show. Yeah. All right. Cheers, Matt. I say hello to people I don't know all the time. Yeah, so, I guess so. so. Yeah, it would, yeah, yeah. It would yeah. be very welcome. So, thoughts? Mm. Me first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you? Uh, you go. I, I thought it was good. I was, I've only well, I've seen Metallica maybe five or six times now. Um, I never saw them like in my childhood when I was really listening to them a lot. I saw them later as like a touring band. We've played the Sonosphere Festival, some of the big four in Europe. We did. We opened up for them in a festival in South Korea. We did a the Orion wow. Fest in Detroit too. So we got to see a lot of the shows. Uh, Hetfield is definitely like a a hero of mine. He's yeah. a master frontman as well. He's isn't a he? master frontman. Everything he does is right to me. Everything yeah. he does is kind of like. 
that's what it should be. That's what it should he seems like. so comfortable and at ease on stage. Just the way he addresses the crowd, even when the power all cut out and yeah, know, less which, abandoned that situation that would night. have panicked and just kind of freaked out. You know, totally. He's and playing he just, in the round for like you know, twenty thousand people. <laughs> Why don't all bands do that as oh well? Oh my god, that's I crazy. love that setup. It's it's a great setup. I always feel bad for the opening band because yeah. I. So we saw that band like Cavell uh, Attack. Yes, yeah, who were great. Um, but I but I felt bad for them trying to like you know wrangle that stage together. <laughs> yeah. Just as a performer too, I know like that's tricky. Um, and I watched Metallica play in the round uh, in Chicago, and the sword opened up. Same thing. It was kind of like if you're not Metallica, yeah. How do you, how play, do you own that How space? do you play in the round? Yeah, it's like I feel bad for it. But back to Hetfield, I think he's he sounded incredible that night. Yeah. Um, band sounded good. Uh, Metallica is also one of those bands who I feel like um, somebody else made this this metaphor. Uh, they're like that sports team that you will always root for no matter what. Mm-hmm. Even when they let you down sometimes. Like, even when, like, you might walk away being like, what the fuck was this all about or whatever, you know? But, but the next day, you'll still buy a ticket to the show or yeah, a yeah. t-shirt or whatever. I think yeah. that, that's the sign of the truly... I mean, there's so many great bands but then yeah. the kind of level above great would be like you know icon classic right timeless just giant bands totally that's what puts them in that league is that mm-hmm. fearlessness that forever boundary pushing mm-hmm. kind of relentless need to just tread new ground mm-hmm. for better or worse sometimes right. um and i think the production that night was like next level i thought it was for great. a metal band totally. like through like acdc level yeah those cubes and like you know all that stuff that was I was wondering what they were gonna do and it was really impressive, um, but it was tasteful at the same yeah. time. Like it wasn't like just over the top. It mm-hmm. wasn't just like pyro and confetti for pyro and confetti's sake. It was I don't know. I liked it. Like James Hetfield, I think is the, the reason I wear a black T-shirt on stage every single show. Is he really? Yeah. There we go. Because he's just like that. Metallica's I don't know. They're definitely they're they're part of my childhood and you know I love hearing those songs and it was I was. So happy that we got to see them, you know, there in Birmingham. So you on a day off? Did you just make yeah. the most of that time? Yeah, totally. We're yeah. on a day off. I always try to see if a band's playing because yeah. I almost see more bands on the road than I do when I get home. You know, and actually, the net we had randomly we had two days off. We never have two days off. We've never had two days off on a European tour ever. And the next night we went and saw Jason Isbell. Right. It was like a singer songwriter yeah, yeah. guy. So it was like the the juxtaposition. You know, just the the two different, way different crowds yeah 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 yeah, no (laughs) doubt and wrapping it up tonight in brixton i mean you've obviously played this room before um just an amazing space i think this is my favorite venue in all of the uk yeah this is there's something magic about it it sounds great like um, as a fan because they've got the sloped floor you can stand anywhere and have a good view it's just killer room man do you know the story about the building the guy fucking bought it for a pound are you serious? There's a whole book on it. If you find it, I can't remember the name of the book, but if you just Google like Brixton really? Academy book, dude bought it for a pound because it was just in total disrepair. Wow. And obviously it was like the home uh, of bands like The Clash and all those punk yeah. bands when they were starting out. I think of like the legends of like like Brixton. I heard about Brixton as a kid in Chicago. And so to be here and to have come here for so many years, we were just having dinner with uh, the guys from The Pairs. And, um, Such a killer band. Yeah, killer band. And they were like, have you, have you played here before? And I was thinking, yeah. Like we've been playing here for over a decade, you know, but it like, it feels like home. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, do you walk out to guns of Brixton in this room? You it, should do. Yeah. Do you actually? Absolutely. <laughs> Every single time. Yeah. Yes. Walk around all of the markets I love it. and everything. Yeah. I love it. I love it too. Cause it's such a cool 
and different part of London. And it, yeah, like, yeah. it feels a little more, it feels a little more real. It feels a little more like representative of like what the city is, yeah. you know, and all of the different cultures all coming together, you know, everything from like here you can get your Caribbean food and there you can get your hipster coffee, Yeah, you know, just like, it's all right here. So I love it. Um, I, I love this place. There's a, a strange thing. If you ever get in that room, um, before people get in there, in the middle of the floor, there's like an echo. Mm-hmm. It's an insane echo where you stand in the middle of the floor and you just you make a noise or clap. And it's not just like one. It's like the echo, which like reverberates yeah, like yeah, many yeah. times. So I DJed here last October oh, okay. um, with Less Than Jake. Okay. It was like a fireball package bill and I was DJing between all the bands. So yeah, I kind of, I was the first guy on stage as people were walking in at six o'clock, like just pumping out tunes yeah it was amazing terrifying and exhilarating and totally the best that, so that's when you can really appreciate the like the immensity of like a venue too when you walk in there before yeah all the chaos kind of starts to happen so tell me about chicago all i know about chicago is what i've seen in john hughes films oh yeah so films. and which is kind of the dichotomy of on the one hand nice leafy suburban beautiful homes and then it always seemed to be the case when the kids went into the city it was like terrifying was that the case back in the kind of eighties when you were growing up? Yeah, I would say you just described my childhood. Pretty yeah, much. yeah, yeah. I grew up in the burbs, probably about fifteen miles outside of Chicago. Uh, not f- like I mean, my grandparents lived um, in the same neighborhoods as the Home Alone house. You know what I mean? And the Uncle Buck house, mm-hmm. and where they filmed Best a lot movie, of uh, a lot stuff. of Breakfast Club. Those were my, my cousins all lived in those neighborhoods. You know, and so. I lived in a different part of town, but we would go over there all the time. And yeah, I mean, Chicago was great. I'm sure it's like a lot of big cities. We have the, the trains kind of connect the, the outlying suburbs to the main city. And so before I could drive or any of my friends could drive, we would make use of the trains and get on them and go into the city to skate or just to go to a record store or go to the cool clothing shops, you know, like buy skate t-shirts and stuff and, and go see shows too. And so... Yeah, it was like I grew up in a very leafy, protected, mm-hmm. uh, incubated suburb. But it was awesome to get into the city. And then well, the what second age did I, you start making those trips on your own? Probably like fourteen or fifteen years right. old. Yeah, um, just getting out of like junior high and like getting really into like music. And my friends and I would just get on that train and go. And then the second I was able to, I, I moved into the city. Like, like pretty much as soon as I got out of high school and turned eighteen, I was kind of like. I want to go live in a house in the city with a whole bunch of punks and play music in the basement and go see shows every fucking night. Hell yeah. Which is what, what I did. <laughs> <laughs> so who were the early bands for you that switched you on to music? And then also, I guess on a more local scale, mm-hmm. what was the Chicago punk scene like as you were coming up? And were there any sort of local notable bands that sort of showed you the way? Yeah, um, there were. Like, so... I guess that was like, it was like really late 80s, early 90s when I was getting into music, like hair metal was kind of starting to give way to like grunge at that time. Um, but I was starting to also get into punk around the same exact time, just through friends, older brothers, that kind of thing. I remember going to camp one summer, maybe it was seventh grade, and uh, I had already heard of the band Pegboy out of Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Um, Didn't the Offspring cover one of their songs on Smash? Did they? Pegboy? I'm sure they did. Oh wow! It's a deep cut. Okay, I gotta check it out. <laughs> yeah. Pegboy's one of my Killboy favorite. Powerhead. Is that a Pegboy song? I don't know. 
I don't know, and I'm embarrassed that, I'll fact that check I don't it know later. this. Yeah, it's on the album "Strong Choice." Is it the black and yellow design? Strong reaction. Strong yeah. reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we we played "Strong Reaction" at Soundcheck today. That's, Did what, you really? that's what kind of Pegboy fans we oh, are. Yeah, yeah just great love, band. Love Pegboy, and I remember this kid. We were talking about Pegboy, and he was like, "Oh, then you need to hear this, this, and this." He made me the mixtape. You know, the mixtape that we all got when we were kids. It was like uh, everything from like Minor Threat to Screeching Weasel to. Um, uh, Fugazi was also on it. Subhumans, Social Distortion. I think wow, the full spectrum of punk. Right pretty now. much, yeah. And he didn't even label it, so I had to like figure out later who they were. That's you know? half the fun of mixtapes yeah, back in the day, Absolutely, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Like, even if you know the band's name, what can you do with that information? There's no internet, so you just like totally just got to go buy some records by that band. Absolutely, like a band like Jawbreaker. To me, Jawbreaker was two blank cassettes every single song. I, I, I still have a hard time telling you what record is what. Yeah, I just yeah, listen yeah. to it straight, uh-huh. you know? And then I went to a record store once and I stole the lyrics. Love it. Not the record. Just the lyrics. Just the lyrics. Because I was like, <laughs> I need to know what he's saying, you know? And so, yeah, that was, those were the bands I was getting into. But I tapped into the local scene pretty early on. Um, there were not a lot of big bands that came out of Chicago around that time. But there were a lot of little bands that were just really important to me. Um, were you in a band early on with Pete Wentz from Fallout Boy? Is that right? Yeah. Uh, not right away. Like, I started going to shows, started going to see bands like Cap'n Jazz. There was a band called Psycho Kato, who were really important to me. I followed them around everywhere. Um, there were Screeching Weasels playing a lot. Reagan was no longer playing. Pegboy would play every once in a while, which was amazing. Um, Los Crudos would play shows. I saw them like in basements or record stores. Um, were you a Pumpkins fan at all? I didn't get into the Pumpkins. No? Mm-mm. I, at that point in my life, it was like, I was very much like punker than thou. Mm-hmm. If it was on the radio, I wasn't listening to it. Yeah, However, yeah. Um, I couldn't even, because that was the scene. The scene was very much like, dude, that's commercial radio. You can't listen to that. You got to listen to only this stuff. You know, you got to listen to these bands. Um, but at the same time, I was like, yeah, but Soundgarden's really good. And yeah. Rage Against the Machine is really good. So good. And, you know, like all that stuff was like, Helmet is awesome. And, so and good. Tool are making great records. And Snow. so, yeah, I never, when those songs came out, I was playing them, even if my friends were like, no, like we only listen to this, you know? And so I always loved, I wasn't a sucker for just big, great melodies, you know? Um, and then it was, well, it was, I eventually started a band called Baxter with um, Neil Hennessy, who plays drums in the Lawrence Arms nowadays, or has for a long time. Wow. And uh, he's one of my best friends still. And then um, a couple of my best friends, and we, we did that band. We did that band like mostly in our basement because I was like, I was such a fan of like the Chicago scene of those bands that I put all of them on a pedestal. And I was like, our thing is just this little kid thing that we do in our basement and no one will know about it. Right. Then we go see shows and those are the real bands. I never considered us like a real band. And eventually we started playing shows and recorded something and the, the demos got out and we ended up being like the, kind of like your staple opener. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Like if, uh, if Snapcase came to town, we opened for them. Like, what sort of music were you making at that point? What was it? Baxter, it was like, um, I don't know. It was like, Four kids who thought we were Fugazi, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. But it's a post-hardcore. Yeah, post-hardcore. Um, big choruses, you know. L- songs were way too long, so we didn't know how to make short songs, you know, that kind of thing. It was, 
but it was different than anything we were than anything that we were hearing at the same time. So we had a hard time. And we weren't doing three chord screeching weasel. We weren't doing smoking Pope's love songs, and we weren't doing like that sort of Midwest emo, like Cap and Jazz or Braid or all those bands. And so I didn't know where we fit in. So it was almost like 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 you were we were embarrassed what we were doing because it was like we couldn't see what it where it fit. But we did end up. We would we would toe that line of like opening up for a band like Braid, or and then opening up for a band like Snapcase, opening up for a Veil, opening up for Hot Water Music, opening up for Good Riddance and Boys It's Fire, um, opening up for ska bands like Slapstick out of Chicago. And so we were kind of like your, we were like pretty much. There's probably a point there where we were always the opener. If you went to go see like a pretty decent national punk band that came through Chicago, playing like the Fireside Bowl we were kind of the opening band for a lot of it. And what's cool too is I've gone on to meet a lot of those guys, you know, like Hot Water Music or Good Buddies and we've toured with them and Snapcase, I went on to... Do any of the bands remember You know, Baxter? Uh, Chuck Reagan did. Uh, and I knew Chuck for years, actually, before I even mentioned it, you know. And I saw him at a party somewhere and I was like, you know, I never told you this before, but like my high school band, like we opened for Hot Water Music. Uh, at the Fireside Bowl. I mean, I'm sure you guys were playing every single night and you don't remember who the local opener was, but I just thought that was a cool full circle. And he was like, wait, what? Like, what did you say the band was called? And I was like, Baxter. He's like, you had a seven inch, right? And I was like, Chuck, you don't need to like humor <laughs> me here. I know you don't remember. He's like, yeah, it was like a, it was like a manila seven inch. It's like a red stripe on it. And he's describing it to a T. And I'm like, what? He's like, oh yeah, absolutely. Saw you guys, loved you guys, bought your seven inch. That's he a real goes, dude right there. Yeah, bought it as well, like, bought the record. Holy wow. shit. And he, goes, and he even went on to say, he goes, over the years, he goes, I've downsized my collection of like seven inches because I had too many. And he goes, and he kind of pulls hands out like this. You know, he's like, I used to have this many and then this many and then this many. And I always pulled that one out and it always made the cut. Love it. I know. I was like almost in tears. <laughs> just like, dude, I mean, we had no idea anybody was paying attention to what we were doing, you know? And the band with Pete, what point does that oh, yeah. come into so, play? And what Baxter, style of music is that? Because you two obviously now are in very different bands. Mm-hmm. Well, Pete was going, we were all going to the same shows. A lot of that 90s hardcore got way into like, um, it was like 90s, like Victory Records, like Earth Crisis, Snapcase, okay. Guilt, By the Grace of God, uh-huh. you know, all those bands. I was, you know, a lot of like metal Yeah, a bit more the metalcore end. Yeah, a little bit of metalcore end. Yeah. Um, I was straight edge and straight edge still at 39. And so that scene I was very taken with and going to see those shows. Um, Pete was there, you know, going to see those shows too. And so we were um, very much like in that same scene. Pete played in a handful of bands around that time. Um, he was he was like a rotating bass player of like so many of these vegan metal straight edge bands, you know, bands like birthright and i think he had a band called culture of violence it was all very like pc hardcore yeah you know kind of stuff veganism environmentalism so has that always been there for you yeah that i I became very very attracted to it that's for sure i liked music um but when music when music had a message it it turned on a light bulb made it more important more vital right it made me it made me it made the whole experience way more rewarding and it also made me realize like that's what i want to do like if if for some reason i end up on that stage and someone gives me a microphone that's the kind of thing i want to do with it because i felt like there were so many the first time i heard the word sweatshop was at a hardcore show the first time i heard ideas of environment this is all pre-internet right so it really is yeah information totally. was nowhere near as regular yeah. it's like household stuff we had words that we all know now you know 
but all that stuff, veganism, vegetarianism, animal rights, all that stuff was nothing that was being talked about. Like I felt like I was going to these shows and my mind blown, you know, um, you know, I got way into animal rights, but animal rights was almost like a gateway drug into everything else. Because when I learned about, uh, factory farming and slaughterhouses and that you don't need to eat meat to survive or thrive, but you know, but we just decide to, um, that stuff, like, first of all, maybe stop eating meat. But second of all, I'm like, if I'm being lied to about that, like, what else am I being lied to about? And then that was kind of, it all kind of cascaded from there. Um, and then Pete's band, he had a band with some of the guys from a band called Race Trader. And it was called Arma Angelus, which was Latin for weapons of the angels. And... Um, I mean, I was probably their fourth bass player. Like, we were all buddies. You know, we played some shows together. I had a band called The Killing Tree at the time, just before uh, Rise Against. And then I joined Arm Angelus and played a handful of shows with them, which was like... Uh, Arm Angelus was a pretty unremarkable, metal-y kind of like... Uh, and uh, sort of straight-edge vegan band. Um, and then we did a little bit of touring around the Midwest, you know. But by the time I got into it too, Pete already had his like, I mean, he already had his sights on something bigger. He'd already met Patrick. Um, I was also talking to Joe about doing this band and both of us were kind of like had one foot out the door, you know. And Pete, you know, he was, he was a smart, is a smart, smart person, you know. And he was a guy with so many ideas. He was so creative. Um that he was such a creative person and is a creative person and the music came second. You know what I mean? It was almost like he was such a great... He had a great mind. He had a great mind and all he needed to do was like pick up an instrument. Yeah. And when he first did, I don't think he knew what, he, what the hell he was doing. You know, it was just kind of like Pete always looked good on stage and he always had like everything... He made everything he did look better, you know? And... There's always those kids that are just kind of blessed. They've just got something special, Absolutely. haven't they? And he was they can of, do all sports really well. Oh, yeah. He was straight A's. Yes. He was one all of the, the girls, yeah. all the mates. Totally. Yeah. And, uh, just a magnetizing personality. Yeah. And he was like, I met this kid. He can sing his ass off. We're going to start a band. But it's not going to be like this metal stuff we're doing. It's going to be more like Saves a Day, Newfound Glory. And it's going to be like, we're going to be like a pop band. And like, we're going to be the biggest band in the world. And I was like, sure, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. Good yeah. luck with that. And everything he said, you know, all happened. Yeah, so. it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Have you kept in touch over the years yeah. loosely? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we still, we still talk. I just saw him in Japan a uh, couple, like just last year. So, yeah. I love stuff like that, man. Like mm-hmm. nothing beats, especially in this industry where there can be a lot of fakeness and transitory friendships. Mm-hmm. Nothing beats history, does it, or roots. If you can still connect back to that, and yeah. like it's, and it's, it's almost a reminder of how far you've come. Mm-hmm. You can kind of look back and go, "Wow, we were doing that, however many years ago, right. and all these things have happened yeah. since." And Fall Out Boy, like that's a real band. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I'll hear people in passing talk about Fall Out Boy, and they might say something like, "Compare them to some of these like." major label constructed personalities hand-picked boy band like where we got this guy this guy this guy there's nothing hand-picked about fall boy like i knew all four of those kids Mm -hmm. and they were the least likely scrappy chicago kids from a hardcore scene that were ever going to make it you know as big as they are they deserve everything they have they've done it all from scratch you know it's really it really is a pretty amazing story and there's no there's no catch 
no. no gimmick. There's no like just great music. Somebody's right? dad knew somebody or whatever. Yeah. It's like that's that's that they're the real deal. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So when you signed to Fat Records, Tim, as I've spoken to a few people, it seems like the drill goes that Fat Mike just calls up the band. And often they're like, uh, who's this? Is that what happened with you guys? Did he just pick up the phone and call you and say, you want to sign to my label? And how did you, do you know, get on his radar and to begin with? So Joe played bass in a band called 88 Fingers Louie, and 88 at, uh, was probably Chicago's biggest punk band at the time, um, and they had a 7-inch on Fat Records, right? but they had full lengths on Hopeless Records. Um, and so when Rise Against put a demo together, Joe naturally sent it to Mike and to Epitaph and to Hopeless and to Nitro was the label at the time, yep. um, I think Victory as well. The you know, classics back then. The like, classics, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, hopefully some of them will call us back, you yeah, know? Yeah, And I think... I mean, the story goes, like, I think Mike called Joe and was like, I like it. I don't love it. Uh, <laughs> I'll, maybe I'll do a 7-inch, but I'm not doing a full length. And we're like, all right, well, that's pretty awesome still, you know? Yeah. And then Hopeless and Nitro were on board. Victory never called us back. And we were thinking about going with either Nitro or Hopeless, and we were really taking our time because... We didn't even have a drummer, I think, at the time. We made a demo, but then our drummer quit. And so we weren't even really a band yet. And as we were getting closer to making a decision, Mike called back. He's like, hey, wait, have you signed anybody yet? And we're like, no. He's like, don't sign anybody yet. I've been listening to it more, and I like it. You know, He goes, I've been trying to figure out who your singer sounds like, and I can't figure it out. And I like that I can't figure it out. So Shows you had something different. Yeah. Like yeah. We, 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 yeah. Totally. So and then he, so then he signed the band before we even played a show. By the way, really? Yeah, yeah. Nice. How old are you at that point? Twenty-two, maybe. Yeah. Solid. Oh yeah. When I met him too, he just looked at me. He's like, "Have you even toured before?" <laughs> like he just looked at me and was like, "Who the heck, who is this?" <laughs> we drove out to like a Detroit Warp tour, and and Joe and our guitar player Dan already knew Mike that are toured with him and stuff like that. I didn't know him. I mean, knew him from no effects. Um, and we walked, we went to, watched him on stage. We walked from the stage to his bus and we sat down. He looked at Joe and Dan, he looked at me, and he saw me in all like 22 years of naivety. And he's like, Are you, are you ready for this? Like, 
are you gonna be able to handle this? You know, and I was like, oh, I didn't really think about it till you just asked. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's he signed our band. We didn't even have a name, by the way. We didn't have a name, and we hadn't played a show. Well, when you called something different before, was it Transistor Revolt? <sighs> yeah, we went with Transistor Revolt. Which... Was it him who suggested the name change? No, no he suggested that... way worse names. Right, right, right. <laughs> Go on, give us a taste. Uh, Jimmy Crack Corn and the I Don't Cares. <laughs> Chicago Tar, <laughs> which there always already was a band called Tar, and I think they were from Chicago. Um, it was really bad. He had, a, he had a notepad, and it was all his names, and we're like... I'm nope. thinking, holy shit, nope. dude. If, if we're Jimmy Crack Corn, I don't care. That makes me Jimmy Crack Corn. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're trying to go on stage and sing about these serious songs with a yeah, message. Yeah. And God, yeah. It doesn't work. Totally, yeah. <laughs> so we were like open to the idea of changing our name. We Rise Against is the perfect name for you guys. Like, uh, yeah. In a lot of ways, it was a great like high bar to set. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when we, we were going through names, writing names down. And when someone wrote down Rise Against, and none of us can remember even who. Uh, we were like, how is there not already a band called Rise Against? Like, shouldn't there already be a band called Rise Against? Um, the only thing we were vaguely familiar with was Born Against, you know? Yeah. And It's the same with Anti-Flag. You think, how did nobody claim that before yeah, them? Yeah. And so we're like, we almost took it just for that reason alone. It was like, oh shit, no one has done this. And But our band itself didn't have much of an identity yet. We were still kind of groping around in the dark. And so, in a way, Rise Against was this really bold statement of a name where it's like now we have to live up to that name which was which was cool and i think we we eventually did we kind of we kind of grew into that name with the producer of the album how do you pronounce his surname first of all mass georgini georgini so he obviously was like massimiliano is it really yep he obviously did some of my favorite records of the kind of early pop punk scene particularly the queers and screeching weasel who you mentioned Mm -hmm. um what was it like working with that guy for the first album and knowing his kind of you know contributions to punk already did he teach you a lot did you learn a lot from him yeah that was my first real studio experience joe and dan already knew him mass had played in the band called squirt gun right we relocated to lafayette west lafayette indiana across the street from the childhood home of Axl Rose um, <laughs> and spent like a month in the studio. So you guys should have called your album Reinventing Axl Rose. I right? know, right? Because we were right there. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was the first time I'd really had anybody put me under the microscope, you know, like really listen to what I was doing you know, and like critique it and, you know. and As a lyricist or a singer or both? Mostly as a singer, you right. know. Um, prior to that, it was kind of like, here's how much money we have, how much time can we get in the studio? And mm-hmm. then they just, that's what you did. And nobody yeah. ever told you to do it over again because they were like, happy to take, your, happy to take your money. And it was like, and now you're out. I got another band coming in. And so this was the first time I really saw the process as like, you know, really honing in on a, on a, on a finished product. And he had just, Mass had just finished Anti-Flags Underground Network, which sounded really good. Um, but yeah, it was a cool, it was a cool experience. It was, it was a, it was a fun like first record to, put together and the early tours were you sort of in the fat family and going out with those fat bands what were some of those shows like and that was huge to be part of the fat family is something that cannot be underestimated and we don't take for granted like to this day you know it's even why bands like pairs are out with us now because 15 years ago sick of it all was taking us out you know strung out was taking us out mad caddies were taking us out um, I was just with Chuck the, uh, the two weeks ago. Oh, really? On tour with those guys. Yeah, I rode on a couple of uh, trips oh, nice. overnight on their bus. Such a cool guy, man. Dude, all those guys, yeah. Nice dudes. We spent so much time with the Mad Caddies. So we toured all of Europe. So how do you and a band like that who love to party, 
how do you get on? You get on okay? Does <laughs> yeah. that not kind of get in the way? Oh, yeah. We would get on their, their weird RV and, and like hang out with them all <laughs> we night. We'd just watch them fucking go for it. Yeah, watch them go for it. Oh, yeah. We had a good time. Just watch them get drunk and, you know, we can sit back and <laughs> we'd enjoy blast. the ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We played Rise Against opened up for the Mad Cows at the Garage. You know, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so we did all of U.S. with them, all of Canada with them. Like, we spent a lot of our early years with them, which was crazy. It was like, we were like this, like, hardcore and punk band playing with the ska band every night you know mm-hmm. um but it but doing stuff like that taught us how to be a band and play on different tours and yeah you know be loved or hated well you've always as a band straddled that kind of punk all the way right through to emo yeah. world do you know what i mean you've always sort of been in both worlds and that's i think evident with the, the bills you put together now mm-hmm. with sleeping with sirens in the middle the yeah. last run you did you had pennywise and swimmers opening up yeah and you've always seemed to have right back to the start you've always seemed to have sat comfortably in yeah. both those worlds which not all bands can do totally yeah i'm glad you realize that because it's something that's like we've been very conscious of is never trying to you know totally pigeonhole ourselves into something um and recognize that our band has a lot of different sides you yeah. know even when we first started, I was like, I'm so grateful to be on Fat Records, but I don't want to just be another fat band. Yeah. You know, there's something more to our band. And so then we were touring with a lot of like the hardcore bands of the day, like whether it was Voice of Fire or Snapcase or like Thursday or Movie Life and that kind of scene, you know, so we were doing shows like that. And that was really important to me to be taken seriously as a band, not just like uh, a roster, you yeah. know, a part of a label. And yeah, and to this day, that's something that we're conscious of. It's like, let's always have our of our feet in the ground and our roots of touring with bands like Pennywise or Bad Religion or Rancid that kind of thing but have you heard that story about Fletcher in the elephant in yeah. cl- that's one of the greatest stories of all time <laughs> I'm glad you've heard it <laughs> <laughs> did he tell you it? Uh, I was meant to do a podcast with him oh, and God. I was hoping he'd give me the first hand account but he ate some gone off sushi yeah. and was shitting his pants all day and yeah, they were all like busting his balls going after 30 years of touring Fletcher you'd think to be sensible to not eat like out of date sushi but yeah. that's Fletcher isn't it? sensible and Fletcher <laughs> are, do not go together well, did you ever see the video no I was trying to get Chuck to show me it but he didn't have like the right phone or whatever but. yeah yeah I know the guy who has it I still have yet to see it but Fletcher every time Fletcher walks into a room it's a story like he does every time I see him it's, he does something insane did so. you see the thing in the news about the carjacker guy I'll have to try and find it and send oh. it to you because I won't be able to recount it. But basically, a guy is in a high-speed chase running from the cops mm-hmm. and he turns a corner and Fletcher's there. And this guy sees Fletcher and basically gets out of the car and bolts. Like, he just bricks himself so much at <laughs> the sight of Fletcher. And the story is something like, guy tries to carjack Fletcher and he makes one look at him and then gives yeah, up. That, that makes sense. <laughs> he's an intimidating motherfucker, that's for sure. And also a sweetheart. Yeah, it was a great show you did here with him. And I think it's really important for younger kids who are, you know, because I think your audience is still very youth-orientated, mm-hmm. despite the fact you've been going as long as you have. And it's great, I think, for kids under the age of 21 to be reminded of how great bands like Pennywise are. Absolutely. Yeah. And see and, them doing and, it. And we owe them so much. Bands like Pennywise paved the way for bands like Rise Against to exist, you know? And they... A lot of those bands took us under their wing, you know, and gave us a shot. So, yes, they're amazing bands, and I want our fans to know about them. And like you said, we have a lot of young fans. Like, just last night we played in Leeds, and uh, I asked the crowd who had seen us before and who was seeing us for the very first time, and so many hands went up. And it's like, holy shit, like, we've been doing this band for, like, 18 or 19 years. We've played Leeds so many times, and, like, someone just came to their first Rise Against show. Like, that's crazy but amazing that like sign you doing something right right yeah like like their connection with this band is starting right now 
And that sort of, it humbles you and it also makes you appreciate it and it makes you realize, okay, this isn't just another show. This is like their first show or somebody's first show. And so it makes you take it as seriously as they do. Let's make it memorable. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, when does Bill Stevenson come into your life? Because he's been pretty key in, I think, helping you guys oh, yeah. evolve your sound. And again, such a character. Absolutely. Such a unique, mm-hmm. brilliant mind, hilarious, mm-hmm. uh, a genius as yeah. well in the studio. Um, it's obviously Revolution to Permanent is the first record you guys do together, 2003. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, how does that relationship come about? And I guess the first record you made together, what was the musical bond there that you know then went on to, to last all these years? Yeah, Bill's role in Rise Against like, can't be overstated. You know, it's, he's like our sensei. Yeah. You know, he's like, <laughs> what a great sensei to yes, have. Yes, he's like our mentor. He's the guru. <laughs> he's the fifth member. He's the guy that like, I don't think we'd be here, you know, in the way we are if it wasn't for him he's the one who like really he's the first guy that like you know it, I guess it would be like if you showed up in a country speaking a different language and he was the first guy you met who understood you and you were like thank you you know because like you said Rising straddles a lot of lines yep. you know um, and Bill understood that and so we found him kind of by accident for our second record we we loved Bill's production at the same time we were trying not to be um, like I said, pigeonholed into one of those bands that have the same sound. You know, yep. we didn't want to sound like every other band on Fat or every other band in our world. Um, and so we we actually got we got we had two different producers fall through on Revolution's Permanent. I'm so glad they did because then we met with Bill and we did our record with him um, in about a month, about 30 days with Revolution's Permanent in Colorado. In Colorado, yep. yeah, between like. Thanksgiving and Christmas pretty much like end of November and Christmas and then uh, he just understood our band from like the get go which was amazing and not just the music but also the lyrics and like who we were what we wanted to do like he and because he was such a hero of all of ours you know from Descendants and Black Flags we were so excited just to be around him and hear his stories he was one of those guys we really listen to mm-hmm. you know because the band was getting a little bigger at that time too and as your band gets bigger you, you like sometimes like at least for me like my circle got smaller who had people I trusted and, and, and like that all kind of closed in and like Bill became somebody that I lived to impress that I to, the, to this day you know and so he's someone who made me work harder and someone that I really I was I not only took his criticism, but like I craved his criticism. Like, is this good enough? You know? And he would always shoot me straight. So we did that record, and then I think four more uh, with him. Because you went on to the major after that, didn't you? Which is obviously a sign that you made a really good record that was, you know, quite a step up from the first. Got that attention. Um, You obviously have that major label experience with Gugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugugug
You know, I mean, I, I grew up in like a, a Chicago scene where like I was a trader the second we signed to Fat Records. Yeah, Laura Jane Gray said the same thing the second they signed to Fat. It's like, yeah. sell out. You're like, totally, yeah. Like that's, <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, so I had largely gotten over a lot of that at that point, you know, and I also, I don't judge people who like judge me. And, the, and, the, and what I mean by that is like, I was that kid. Like mm-hmm. I was that Yeah, you were kid. saying earlier. When yeah. Bad Religion went to a major label, I was like, fuck Bad Religion. You I'm know? out. Yeah. Yeah, like... That's people. You're on your journey. You know what I mean. And I can't, I can't change that. You know what I mean. And if that's how you feel, then like bless your heart. Like feel that way. I'm not going to do that. All I can do is take one step at a time and prove to you, like who I am, what we're going to do, and that what we do is real, and and I stand by it. You know. And that's all we did with Siren Song and Counterculture. We made a Rise Against record, and that turned out to be the only evidence we needed to provide to. And the music, and yeah. You know, we sat there and we bit our tongue while people were like, "Oh, major label, fuck that." And we put out the record, and everyone was like, "I think after that, it was like, okay, they're still rise against." You know, and we were always going to be, and there was no external pressures from anybody to be anything other than rise against. But we looked at it as like, we're probably going to do a record on a major label. It probably will not be successful, and we'll probably get dropped, and then we will probably then beg fat Mike to take us back <laughs> which of course he'd do right which like, he, hopefully he would do yeah. yeah totally that was our plan and so we thought with this budget let's go to one of these all-star producers like Garth Richardson what had he done at that point obviously Rage loads of stuff right? yes. yeah the first Rage which was like huge yeah but he also did Sick of It All's Built to Last okay which we were like that's interesting yeah yeah he had just finished uh, that From Autumn to Ashes record mm-hmm. who we toured with a little bit at the time too we're like alright he kind of knows like heavy music and we're looking at producers who like Either they were like kind of on the pop end or on the heavy end. And we thought, Garth is on the heavy end. He does heavy bands. Um, he was doing a lot of like really mediocre new metal stuff too, um, which we weren't listening to, but it was like proof like he knows heavy music, you know. Um, when we got to him and made that record, I don't think he knew quite what to do with us. I don't think he quite knew what kind of band we were. Like we weren't this, we weren't part of like the new metal stuff he was doing, you know but we weren't a poppy rock band either, you mm-hmm. know? And so I don't think he quite could put his finger on what Rise Against was. It's kind of a weird time for music as well, the mid-noise. I think mm. that um, it was changing, and I guess you'd have bands like My Chemical Romance, Fall Out Boy, Panic at the Disco. That was yeah. kind of what was becoming huge. And Yeah, bands like Thrice and Thursday and Taking Back Sunday were kind of taking over the airways around that time. Yeah. Like a lot of like the kind of like post-emo poster child, you know, yeah. like was happening. We didn't really fit into that. Um, I guess bands like Alcorn Trio and My Chem were in the Avenged Sevenfold were all getting really big at the time. Which are all our peers, all the bands we toured with and played with. Um, but yeah, we didn't also... It made sense to me that those bands would get big. Mm-hmm. They were great bands. They were charismatic bands. They had amazing frontmen. Um, I I always looked at Rise Against the success as unlikely. You know, It was just kind of like I was like, we don't have that thing. You know, We don't have a look you know we don't have any of that you know I'm not sure where we fit in and we made that record with Garth um, and then lo and behold like people dug it and it launched your whole career right pretty that, much that yeah. was the album that mm-hmm. sort of cemented you guys and- absolutely and what's interesting about that album too is that it was our major label debut and the two singles off that record that that for all intents purposes launched Rise Against Career were two previously released songs like what on compilations yeah so give it all come out in a rock against bush compilation from right. fat records yeah yeah uh almost a year prior uh-huh 
and we re-recorded it with Garth and put it on Siren Song. Swing Life Away, uh, which is kind of a weird, unlikely... Ones, yeah. begin with, right? Mm-hmm. It was kind of a weird, unlikely single. Uh, that I had written during Revolutions Per Minute, recorded it for a Fearless Records Punkos acoustic comp right. that had come out, all, again, like a year or two prior. And so I re-recorded it. So these were songs that were already out there in the ether, and they didn't change our lives, you know what I mean? Like, it was like, they were good songs. We played them live. People dug them, but when we re-recorded them and put it on that record, then all of a sudden people heard them, and that kind of launched Rise Against. That's really interesting what you say there, because they were out there already. And obviously there's certain restrictions in place when you're perhaps in that major label world, but Mm. the story of your band is a quite clear-cut example of if you get the right platform to get the music heard, it can then set you on your course for the rest of your career. Trust me, as a kid who grew up reading Steve Albini's op-eds and listening to Fugazi, I was finding myself in a moment where I became a believer in the power of a major label. Yeah. It was, I was like, it was, it was clear as day to me that you put this in the hands of the right people and they will find your audience. And here we still are. Here we still are. We signed a five record deal and we did all five records with them. Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. And that's when Bill then comes back in. Bill comes back in because we did the record with Garth and we had an experience, that experience with him, but it made us long for Bill. We realized, I think when we did RPM with Bill, it was great. And we took for granted that not every experience will be great. You know, I was like, oh, Bill was great. The next guy will be great. Mm -hmm. The next guy will be great. Everyone will be great. It'll all be great. And then after it wasn't great, it was like, oh, we, we struck gold, you know, with Bill. We need to go back there. And we did. We actually, the, the day we ended Siren's song, the very next day we recorded Black Flag covers for the Lords of Dogtown compilation that film's so good we're in it for like a brief are you really second. yeah we play black flag in the movie i mean if you blink oh, wow right okay if yeah, you yeah, blink yeah. you would miss us but like That's we were killer. we were in there bill was on the set too with his kids he was on vacation it's an did. amazing film yeah Heath the, ledger's so good in that yes, as well but all the kids I mean, man Emil hirsch yeah like he's the, great mm-hmm. it was cool that was our that was our imdb moment but like um did peralto direct that he definitely wrote it, didn't he? No, the girl who, the, late, the woman who directed uh, the movie Thirteen, okay, with Evan Rachel Wood. I want, I want to say her name's Catherine Hardwick. I might, but it might be something like that. Anyway, Thirteen's a great movie. Yeah, yeah. as well. she yeah. did that, and then she did Lord's Dogtown. She's done some cool movies since. But um, yeah, we did the Black Flag covers with Bill, and right then we were like, we need to do records with Bill, and then we did Suffer and Witness. And was that the album for you where you sort of, I think, redefined? Rise Against. Yeah, that was, it was one. kind of a slight musical departure, wasn't it? And I guess the Rise Against that most people know now yeah. was maybe born. I feel like up until album, Sufferer, right? we were trying to make Sufferer. Right. You know, like we started Unraveling was like our baby record, kind of like trying to figure out who we were. Revolution for a minute, we were like, we kind of figured it out and we met Bill. So we got like our sound captured. Siren was, was more groping around because I feel like the songs were kind of we didn't capture them the way they should have been captured we were kind of it was just such a freight train of attention everything happened at that time um it wasn't that we all we didn't know we didn't leave that record feeling completely comfortable mm-hmm. with it you know and then suffer was like yes suffer was the record when we finished it i was like i wouldn't change a damn thing really wow yeah yeah like this is that must be a rare feeling oh, to have in record making good. yeah yeah like yeah. this sounds exactly the way it should sound i'm Brilliant. proud of every note on this record and then it came out and it was, you know, it was, it was successful. 
all about the bill, man. So you do appeal to reason, end game, and black market all with him, right? Yeah. Um, the newest one, Wolves, was with someone else. Was there yeah. any sort of reason behind that other than just time to try something else out? Yeah, it was, we just kind of like every single record we did, somebody tried to convince us to do it with somebody else. Okay. Yeah, like, nah, we, we gotta go. And we're gonna, no, we're going bill. And so finally. After Black Market, we were like, okay, we are open to the idea. Plus, Bill is super busy. Descendants were getting back together, are back together. I don't think he would have been able to do our record anyway this year. So I think he had a good break from us. Um, and we did it with Nick Rasculinix, who has done Foo Fighters, Mastodon, Rush, Deftones. Wow. Um, one of those, like... Proper old, hard rock guy, old yeah, school. Yeah, like an old Sound City guy, you know. Like, And we thought it was pretty good. He was down in Nashville, which isn't that far from Chicago. Um... And we did the record with him, which was cool. It was cool to like talk, work with a guy who brought in like a whole different wealth of experience. Um, he was also not even that familiar with Rise Against, which I feel like was interesting to just kind of like cold water introduce somebody to our band. Like, mm -hmm. check it out. Here we are. Like, what do you think? You know, he didn't, he didn't walk in with like any baggage of like what Rise Against was supposed to be or not supposed to be. So that was, uh, that was interesting. And he kind of... They captured like a lot of like the energy and the urgency on the record. We, we tend to overthink things. I feel like you know we 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 tend to like go down that rabbit hole sometimes. Where after a while we get away from what the song is. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Nick was more like, no, that done, move on. Brilliant. Yeah. And I guess you can apply that knowledge to you know your career going forward, can't you? I think it's important to be reminded of that ability to self-edit. Yes. And to walk away totally. when it's ready and done, and yeah, it was and not a good and It was a good experience too for us because Bill is uh, is such a a close friend and like ally of Rise Against that in a way he was like this was like the record where it was like let's kick Rise Against out of the nest and see if they can fly. Yeah, like we relied on him for everything. Yeah, he yeah. Was such like our coach, and this was like, what would you do without your coach? Could you still play? You know, and fuck yeah, right? Yeah. So this was like we had to kind of like rely on each other in a lot of ways. You know, we didn't expect Nick to like have the history that we have with Bill. You know, and so it was sort of like, can we still do the same things without Bill? You know, and so it brought us closer together as a band, and it made us realize some of the some of the weapons that we have in our own arsenal. Uh, I guess we should wrap it up because okay. doors are going to open um, imminently. Oh, yeah, I don't want to get too heavy at the end. It's kind of oh, like bring it on. Bring it on. Um, I wanted to ask you about Cornell and about Chester. All oh, right. Because for me, there seems to be a real problem at the moment with prescription drugs or illegal drugs, drugs, right. and, and an inability, sorry, to perhaps face reality that some people have. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, you were friends with Cornell, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you guys Chester too. And Chester. I wondered mm -hmm. if you could just sort of maybe share share your thoughts on, on why we're losing people like this. What's going on? Can we do right. something to change things? To I mean, I, I can't sit here and tell you like I have the answer to like of course, what happened yeah, yeah. to those guys or, yeah, yeah. or like or there is a good, simple answer. Like I know as a guy who does walk on stage every night uh, and perform these songs that we've created over the, all these years, like... Being a performer like Cornell or like Chester um, is not completely unlike being a lion tamer, right? You a, a good lion tamer will make it look easy, you know. He'll make you forget that he's in some serious danger. He's in some serious shit. Those are lions with teeth. They want to eat him, but through all of his practice or whatever, 
like he has made it look entertaining and fun, you know. And when you talk about Linkin Park songs and Soundgarden songs, you talk about dark songs. You talk about dark songs that deal with demons, you know. The Chester and Chris and all of us who sing for these bands, like we all wrestle with demons, you know. If you're good at it, and they were good at it, you make it look really easy. And you make it look so easy that the audience forgets that those demons are still lions and they're still dangerous. And just because it's a top 10 single or like the lyrics are on a t-shirt they're selling tonight or, you know, it's a successful tour or whatever, doesn't change the fact that like the, the core are these songs that are really, you know, people's blood, sweat, and tears are poured into them, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's it's a scary thing. And I think and then when you add, you when you add the distortion of drugs into that mix then it's really unpredictable what can what can happen what's really sad too is that i knew both those guys you know not really well but like we definitely kept in touch i sang with cornell on stage here in london actually um before i've sang with chester on stage before out of all the people that like i've met like out here they were some of like the the lightest of souls you know what i mean just like just guys who really seemed, seemingly had it together, right? Seemingly had it together. Like when I t- whenever I talked to Chester, it would be at some huge show where I'm sure there was a lot of pressure on him to perform and to be him and be all that is Chester Bennington. And nobody was more relaxed and like comfortable than Chester. It was like he'd walk into our dressing room like 60 seconds before he was due on stage with some like tour manager like freaking the fuck out you know just like Chester what are you doing and he's like I want to say how to rise again so give me a break you know and he would just be calm and cool he'd tell me about some new band he's listening to I should check out you know and it was just like wow like that guy's like he was just floating you know like he had it all together like I've met people out here that I worry about I've met people that are like that guy seems dark he seems like he's in a dark place Never had that feeling about Chester or Chris too. Like Chris, whether it was Soundgarden or his solo stuff, he was like this really warm-hearted, giving, generous person who, who seemed all but unaware of his own celebrity, you know, just like wanted everyone to have a good time and feel comfortable, you know. And he didn't, I don't know. Those were, I, when I saw those, I thought it was fake news. I was like, no, not, not those guys. Like maybe somebody else, but not those guys. So that makes it all more shocking when 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 it's people that you really don't think that would, would be dealing with that. People you think that were kind of like people like Cornell who were, had survived so many of those grunge deaths, you know. And he was some of the last guy. He's one of the. You last thought guys. he'd made it, right? Yeah, made it through all this yeah. shit, you know. And I've heard lots of stories about him and. I'm friends with like the audio slave guys and stuff and it yeah. seems like his demons were behind him you know it seemed that I never met him on a personal one to one basis mm-hmm. but I saw him a couple of months before he passed away play at the Royal Albert Hall do an acoustic show yeah. he was telling stories and he just as you say he seemed light yeah he seemed like all of it was just sort of like I don't know like he just walked into every show just like like it was all fun you know it was like Whenever I'd ask him questions about like, hey, what do you do about this? Or are you worried about this? Or what do you do to warm your voice? He'd be like, I don't know what I think about it, man. I was like, man, fuck you. You're like a god among men. <laughs> Special guy, man. Yeah, Special absolutely. talent as well. Both I know. Of them. So sad. 
Um, well, Tim, thank you for your time, man. Yeah, and um, thanks, thanks for those insights. Yeah. As I say, sorry to kind of take it in a kind of dark way at the end. No, it's but good I to did. talk about. If nothing else, like in the wake of their deaths, like these are things that we can talk about and be aware of, you know what I mean? And not just, not just be so quick to move on and like forget, you know, hopefully it's something that, you know, people out here on the road or just, you know, people that were, that were fans of those bands, hopefully they're a little more vigilant of nowadays if nothing if something good can come out of that all then hopefully that might be something catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 